We return this morning to our fall sermon series in uh, the Minor Prophets. And so we took a break last week for Reformation Sunday, uh, but we are back today. Uh, And just again to remind you, the Minor Prophets are those last 12 books in your Old Testament. They're minor, not because they're unimportant. They're minor because they're simply, in most cases, a little bit smaller than uh, the major prophets. Uh, Take Isaiah, for example. And today, we come to the minor prophet uh, known as Habakkuk, or Habakkuk. I don't know that it really matters. I'm going to say Habakkuk, or uh, at least that's my plan uh, for how I will will say it today. Um, We know even less about Habakkuk than we knew about Nahum. Nahum was the minor prophet we were in two weeks back. Um, At least for Nahum, we knew the town that he was from. It's, It's a quick trivia question, anybody? You don't know, it's okay. I had to write it in my notes. Um, he was from Elkosh. And the funny thing is, we don't even know where that ancient city is. But Nahum 1.1 told us, Nahum from Elkosh. Well, we know less about this guy, Habakkuk. Um, other than his name, which appears here, um, we, we don't know anything uh, about him. Um, but Habakkuk 1.1 says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And so this is... Uh, part of God's word, and as we'll see in a little bit, Habakkuk gets quoted uh, into the New Testament uh, by the Apostle Paul twice and by the writer to the Hebrews. So uh, this, this is an important minor prophet. Um, scholars tell us this, uh, the name Habakkuk, and if, and if you've been with us through the series, often I'll put the name on the screen with what it means etymologically or, or so on. Well, um, this is what scholars tell us. The name might might be related to a Hebrew verbal root meaning to embrace or to fold the hands in idleness, okay? Uh, Proverbs 6.10 uses a word that that has, again, some of these verbal roots. Um, It also might be the name of a garden plant, Cassia Torah. I don't know what that is. But nothing, the point is, in the etymology of this name, Habakkuk, yields really anything helpful uh, for us, okay. Often names uh, would symbolize uh, deeper meaning, but but that's not the case here. Um, there, there does not appear to be anything significant about his name related to his prophecy, and and sometimes that's the case. These prophets have this name, and and the name speaks of what they would do and say. Um, not so for Habakkuk. So if you've been looking for a name for a stuffed animal or a kid or a grandchild, uh, maybe Habakkuk, but there's not much to say. Uh, about what it means, other than what he is going to write about. And there's a lot there, actually. Um, Habakkuk is composed of three brief chapters, uh, which, again, I'll come back to in a moment and say more about. Probably Habakkuk wrote between 640 and 615 B.C., before Christ, just before the fall of Assyria. So we were in Nahum uh, two weeks ago, and we were talking about Assyria, That was the power, uh, the world power that came and took the northern tribe captive, uh, the northern tribe of Israel, and then they continued to make war, and the the younger tribe, or or lower tribe, excuse me, Judah, watched and and, and waited for for God to sack Assyria or or Nineveh. Uh, There's some parallelism there, because Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Well, eventually, God would judge the, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, who were brutal. I mean, the historical record in the scriptures and outside of the scriptures make that clear. 
Uh, they were very brutal in how they treated their surrounding countries. Uh, and so um, God would use Babylon, that country that would eventually take Judah captive. Think the book of Daniel, think King Nebuchadnezzar and so on. Okay, God would use uh, the Babylons to uh, punish Assyria, and, and that's coming um, Babylon is going to punish Assyria, Babylon is going to punish Judah, and all that is going to be at, at the hand of God. And so Habakkuk is writing just before um, the rise of Babylon, before they take over Assyria. Uh, and the only hint of the date we, we find in chapter 1, verse 6, where it speaks of um, the Babylonian invasion of Judah, although there uh, it's the word the Chaldeans. And so if you see Chaldean in the Bible, that's a synonym for the Babylonians, okay? Those are the same area. So that's the only hint we have of, of again, a date, and that still is a future event. Um, it doesn't appear that the Babylonians are an imminent threat to Judah when Habakkuk is writing, but, but this is stuff that's going to happen, going to come. And Habakkuk is writing uh, at a time when um, the nation of Judah had turned their back on God, and that that is a gross understatement. Um, Judah was at this time. This is in like Second Kings twenty three uh, in that area. Um, Judah was morally and spiritually corrupt. Um, they had wicked kings, Manasseh and Amon, and and the nation was ripe for God's judgment and punishment. Um, they, they were worshiping Baal on the high places. Those are the names of these altars for the, the idols, for the foreign gods, and the Israelites were worshiping Baal. Um, there was child sacrificing going on to Moloch, one of the gods. Uh, their horses were being dedicated to the sun god. Uh, the temple had fallen into ruin. Um, Judah was morally and spiritually corrupt. As a whole, they had walked 180 away from God. Now, there's a remnant there's still some people <clears throat> that were faithful, um, <clears throat> excuse me, but it was a turbulent time. Uh, and again, um, Assyria had been in and out and had been ruling Judah with a heavy hand, uh, but they were beginning to weaken. Babylon would be coming. And so all of that is, is sort of the, the bigger context of what is going on. If you look at the screen, uh, if you are curious, just a brief outline, Habakkuk um, falls into a real kind of simple pattern. Verse 1, which you heard me read, is, is the superscription, kind of, again, just Habakkuk identifying himself, right? Um, he received an oracle. And that's an interesting word, by the way, too. Uh, the old King James, I believe, calls it a burden. It's, it's the same word. And, and the idea was kind of that when, when God gave a prophet an oracle, it was a burden until he gave it. It was this burden, this oracle from God that needed to be proclaimed. And so after Habakkuk the prophet receives this oracle, <clears throat> he sees it, then there's, there's basically two cycles of dialogue. Um, chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. First, Habakkuk is lamenting all the things that he sees wrong with, with Judah and, and questioning where's God and what's going on. And then God responds to Habakkuk's lament in verses 5 through 11. So that's the first dialogue cycle. Then uh, chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 20, the second. Once again, Habakkuk has a lament, and then God responds. So these two cycles of lament, God's response, lament, God's response. And then uh, chapter 3, we have uh, Habakkuk's prayer of praise. In, in 
response to his dialogues with God, Habakkuk ends his, his prophecy with, with a wonderful chapter, Habakkuk chapter 3. So it's a real simple outline of the book. Um, I've been in Habakkuk, obviously, this week and a little bit of the week before, uh, getting ready for today. And uh, I am convinced that this little book, this, this little minor prophet, um, is, is, has got some major things, some major truths that we need to hear, we need to read, uh, we need to know. Even if we don't know Habakkuk's name, <laughs> um, this is a wonderful um, prophecy that, that, again, should speak to God's people all these years all these years later. Um, again, Judah was dealing with a lot of evil, as I, I mentioned briefly ago, a moment ago. Uh, there was a lot of violence around them as a country. Uh, they were experiencing pain and suffering, trials. I mean, that's any time in life. Evil. Is there evil around us? I think, yeah, right? Violence. Pain, suffering, trials. I mean, that's, that's the normal life or the normal Christian life. Being a Christian doesn't remove you from life. And Judah was about to face judgment. I don't know that I'm a prophet to say we are about to face judgment. And by we, I don't know even what I mean. Do I mean we as Americans? Do I mean we as God's people? Of course, if we're in Christ, our sins have been judged on the cross. Praise the Lord. And so we've talked about in this series, as the day of the Lord dawns for for us on this side of the first coming, uh, there is another day of the Lord. That was the first day of the Lord. There's a second day of the Lord when King Jesus returns. And for us who are in Christ, it's a glorious day. But for those who aren't in Christ, it's, it's judgment. And so... Uh, there, there are people that will face judgment, whether or not it's imminent, uh, and, and so we, we maybe carry that too. Anyway, my point is we can relate with what Judah was going through. So if you haven't already, please open to Habakkuk. It's near the end of your Old Testament. It's right after Nahum, right before Zephaniah. And as you're turning there, if you haven't already, this morning, here, here's what we're going to see. And I've, I put this on the screen. I want, I want you to see this. And hear this several times. Because God is sovereign and good, we must bring our laments. And, and pause. What is a lament? It is a, it is a crying, sometimes literal crying, prayer of agony, grief, frustration to God. It's not just complaining, but it, it is bringing to God the, the real big, deep questions struggles, challenges. And the scriptures are filled with lament. It should encourage us that we can come to God. You've heard me quote this line from an old Christian song from the 80s by Margaret Becker. God is not afraid of our honesty. And the song says next, he can heal us if we speak honestly. God is not afraid of our honest lamenting. So, Because he is sovereign, we'll talk more about what that means, and because he is good, we must bring our laments to God. We must praise his character, and we must resolve to walk by faith 
but then look at the screen even more because, as I've already pointed out, we do all this even in the midst. We should do this even in the midst. We must do this even in the midst of evil and violence and suffering and trials and impending judgment. Because God is sovereign and good, we must bring our laments to him, praise him, and resolve to walk by faith or by trust. As I remind us often, faith, biblical faith is to trust, even in the midst of evil, violence, suffering, trials, and impending judgment. Okay, let's spend a little bit of time in Habakkuk and, and see this. So the first dialogue cycle, right, where Habakkuk brings lament and God responds. And the focus in Habakkuk's first lament is really this question. This is what uh, one writer, Heather Joy Zimmerman, says. Where is God in the face of violence and injustice? Where is God in the face of violence and injustice? That's really, that's her summary of what Habakkuk is lamenting in uh, this lament of verses 2 through 4. So follow along as I read. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So that the law, speaking of God's law, so the law is, is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth Perverted. That's quite an honest lament of, of what Habakkuk is seeing and, and feeling as a person in, in this nation of Judah and all the stuff around them. And an interpretive decision has to be made. Is, is he speaking of all this violence and, and so forth and evil surrounding uh, him? Is it what he's seen the Assyrians do? Uh, to, to his brothers up in the north? Or is he speaking about what his own leadership in the nation of Judah have been doing? And, and I think it's that one. Uh, I think, as I mentioned in the sort of introduction, what was happening historically is just a tragedy. God's people had so walked in the opposite direction of God's ways, all those evil things they were doing. I believe that's what Habakkuk is referring to. God, why don't you see what is happening here in our midst, in, in your covenant people, God? Um, again, where are you in the face of all this, God? At verse 5, God responds. 5 through 11, God's response. Let me read verses 5 and 6. Look among the nations, Habakkuk, and see Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, again, that's Babylon, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God, God answers Habakkuk's lament, and he doesn't rebuke Habakkuk for lamenting. But he answers him, Habakkuk, look, look and see. I love this statement of God. Wonder and be astounded. I mean, 
right there. That's a word from God, I think, to us. Do we look at what is happening and do we wonder and do we have an astonishment? Because it's the same God that says, I'm doing a work in your days that if I told you, if I really explained it, you wouldn't believe Habakkuk. I still think God says that now. Hey, church, you're lamenting things and it's okay to lament. It's okay to talk to me about the evil, the hurt, the strife, the trials, the pain. But look, and, and I'm, I'm at work. I, I'm at work. And what's, what's important even just to, to note here, um, right, we, we talk about that, that all these stories, all these accounts, like they, in, in some way they point forward to what would happen with Christ. Well, the, the wicked people, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and all that they are doing and will do, well, again, that, that prefigures um, the, the injustice of the Lord Jesus being crucified, right? The innocent one who did nothing wrong. And, and how God would use that for salvation. God is doing it. God is the decisive agent. Now, now these, these verses, Habakkuk 1, 5, and 6, they're quoted by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13, um, verses 40 and 41. Um, I, want, I want you to hear it. So Acts 13, 40 and 41. Apostle Paul says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets, that's Habakkuk, should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. That's Acts 13, 40 to 41. And just a few verses earlier in the context, verse 36 of Acts 13, Paul says of David that, that David served God's purposes in his time. David didn't serve his own purposes in his time. He may have thought that at times, even as we very much think we're doing our thing in our time. But Paul knows, no, David served God's purposes. He was and is always the decisive one at work. This is getting into our statement of him being sovereign. And so here, quoting Habakkuk, God saying, I'm doing a work. I was doing a work in David. I was doing a work at the time of Habakkuk. I'm doing a work now, the Apostle Paul is saying, of God saying. And again, it's a statement of God and his sovereignty. Habakkuk will start to get this. But we'll see it in a moment in verse 12 when, uh, when Habakkuk has his a second cycle of dialogue. He, he is starting to understand this truth. But let me just stop again and, and say our point. Because God is sovereign, we haven't got to his goodness yet, but because he is sovereign, we must bring our laments to God. Just as Habakkuk did, there's a lesson. You, you, you got to lament because of stuff. It's okay. That's the normal Christian life. It's a normal life for everyone. But as Christians, bring those laments to God. He's in charge. He's decisively in charge. Nothing is outside of him. He's not going, oh my, oops, I dropped that one. Right? No, he, he has it. So beginning at verse 12 of chapter 1 through 220, we have the second dialogue cycle between Habakkuk and God. Um, and really here, the stress is with this question, why does evil seem to go unpunished? Anybody ever wonder that? Or another way to say it is, how does God work his justice in ways when 
we don't seem to understand it. So let's take a look at, at some of the content here in this second cycle, uh, beginning at verse 12 of chapter 1. Again, this is Habakkuk speaking. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. We will not die? Well, what does he mean? Probably means like eternally, or as God's covenant people, the remnant will remain because everybody dies. But, but just hear how he is getting the idea of the sovereignty of God. Are you, God, not from everlasting? Whereas we have a beginning, God's from everlasting. Oh, Lord, my God, he uses God's covenant name, God's covenant name, Great I am, he is his God, he is his whole, he's the holy one. And then at the end there, verse 12, two times, you have ordained them, you have established them. Once again, God is the decisive, the decisive agent. I love this statement by commentator Paul Wegner. Habakkuk has good theology and knows that God lives forever. Habakkuk has good theology and knows that God lives forever. Psalm chapter 90 verse 2 says, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Do, do we have that good theology in the midst of our limits? It's okay if we don't. God's not done with us. We're all in process. We, we need to have this kind of good theology in our lives. No matter how hard and, and challenging, the evil, the injustice, the trials, the sickness, right? Those things that we lament to God, we need the good theology to proclaim his sovereignty. You ordain, you've established. And that, that doesn't remove... Our, our freedom, right? We, there's this interplay in the scriptures, divine sovereignty, and it's the decisive thing with freedom, human freedom. This, this works together. We're not puppets just being moved along. There's divine sovereignty, human responsibility, and, and scriptures from beginning to end and everywhere in the middle put these together, not as uh, opposites, not as contradictions, but as as this thing that works together, because God is God. So because God is sovereign, we must bring our laments to God. And now we begin to pull out the second thing I said, we, we must praise his character. And that's what Habakkuk is doing at this point. He, he is praising who God is. Well, let's jump to God's response at verse 20. I'm sorry, uh, verse 2 of chapter 2, through verse 20. So at chapter 2, verse 2, the Lord answers, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. 
It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And then now, especially look at verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up, probably speaking of the singular nature of Babylon or the Chaldeans as a specific country and maybe even more specifically the king. And we know from Daniel, I just been listening to Daniel on my morning uh, walk and listening to God's word and, and uh, boy, King Nebuchadnezzar, did he struggle with pride? We, we sh- most of us know that and remember that. Um, so even here, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Have you heard that before? The righteous shall live by faith. That's the phrase three times in the New Testament. Uh, we, we have it quoted twice by the Apostle Paul, Romans, Galatians, and then the writer to the Hebrews says it as well. The righteous shall live by faith. So I want to just pause and look at those uh, New Testament texts, two of them, the Romans uh, and the Galatians one. So if you look at the screen, Romans uh, verses one, or chapter one, verses 16 and 17, the apostle says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel, good news, that's what the word means. What good news that the Niners are off this week to rest? That's good news too, but that's not this good news. Uh, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That became technical for the good news of the person and work of Jesus, his work before his death, and especially his dying, being put on the cross, being buried, and rising on the third day. That is what the writers of the New Testament mean when they say gospel, good news. What has happened because of the person and work of Jesus? So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of all that, that gospel. Why? For it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, to save. For who? For everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then here, verse 17. For in it, in what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, from faith to faith. As it is written in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Paul, you didn't have your numbers yet. The righteous shall live by faith. Uh, Such an amazing couple of verses. I I keep having this thought that, you know, as a church, we're 14 and a half years old, and and so we're, we're a young teenager, right, as a church. And so I'm kind of a young teenager as a regular preacher that maybe soon I'll be ready to do a big boy book like Romans. I don't know though yet. It's very overwhelming, but it's glorious. And these two verses, church, I mean, you need two verses to memorize. There you go. Uh, And so we don't have time to really unpack it as much as I would like, but but the righteous, the, the person that God makes righteous because of the gospel, then we... We live by faith, by trust. That, that's our call, to walk in trust. Like we've already sung about, God being our firm foundation, he's been faithful. We trust him for everything, but especially the gospel. Then again, quickly, 
uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. This is the other time the Apostle Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, by that is keeping the law. We don't get declared righteous. The word justified and righteous share a similar uh, Greek word. Uh, so um, no one is righteous, justified, declared right by God, by rule keeping. No, on the contrary. The righteous, that is those justified, they live by faith. We, we are declared righteous by our trust in the person and work of Jesus, by what he's done. And in response, again, we, we live by faith. Our salvation from start to finish is by faith. And so it's a glorious, glorious truth. So this is an important verse, Habakkuk 2.4. And Habakkuk is important. In, in um, Habakkuk, back into Habakkuk now uh, for these final moments, he, he is understanding this, that um, this, is, this is the way uh, we are to live. I jump down in chapter 2. So this, again, continues to be... Um, so Habakkuk, Habakkuk here um, has been speaking, and um, finally at verse... Uh, Two um, of chapter two, God is responding. Okay, look down at verse sixteen just for a moment. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your. Glory. So the cup idea, um, we will in a few minutes, we will partake of the cup. Uh, another way we speak of the cup is uh, the Lord's Supper, communion. But, but again, just to kind of prepare us for that, this, this analogy of the cup, it isn't just because like literally, you know, there's a little cup like this or, or a cup like, like so, right? Um, this is a phrase, we see it here in Habakkuk. It's a phrase Jesus would utter. It speaks of the wrath of God um, being poured out and, and, and overflowing. So Jesus in the garden, even though he knew he had come to do the Father's will, even though he had said, I came to give my life as a ransom, yet he, fully God, but a full humanity, and in those hours before, what does he pray and cry? Father, if possible, take this cup. He's speaking of wrath, the wrath of God, the wrath that's poured out on God's enemies. Jeremiah twenty five fifteen says, uh, the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand the cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. So God is a wrathful God, not alone. He's a God of love and compassion and mercy and grace, but he is a God of wrath who will judge sin and judge the people who sin and don't repent. And that's all these Old Testament passages and that's what Jesus did. And, and so again, even here is God is saying, I, I'm gonna deal with Judah. I'm gonna deal with Babylon. Uh, this, this idea of cup, again, it's a prefiguring of that final judgment. Christ on the cross drinking the cup of wrath as our substitute. The gospel, we looked at a moment ago not being ashamed of it, the power. Well, let me say one more time, because God is sovereign, 
and good. We haven't seen the good yet. We'll, we'll get there in just a moment. But, but he's, because he's sovereign, he's the decisive agent, he's in charge, he appoints and does it all. We must bring our laments to God, we must praise his character, and we must resolve to walk by faith. Even in the midst of evil, violence, suffering, trials, and, and impending judgment, impending second coming. But all that, then, is the final part of Habakkuk, is this prayer of praise. And so this is where we, we get that final part of God being good. Habakkuk 3 uh, is, again, this wonderful psalm of confidence, one writer calls it. The Habakkuk has lamented, God has spoken. Habakkuk has lamented, God has spoken, and Habakkuk gets it now. God, you're sovereign, so I will lament and praise and walk by faith. And that leads him to a wonderful chapter, Habakkuk 3, um, verses 1 and 2. Listen to these verses. O Lord, sorry, verse 2. I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I love that line. In wrath, remember mercy. It's it's a plea that God, when you judge, be merciful. And, And God will be those who are in Christ. Jump down to verses 17. Through 19. These are probably the most famous, other than chapter 2, verse 4, the most famous verses of Habakkuk. Again, this is Habakkuk's psalm of praise. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the field yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's kind of grim and sad. (laughs) Yet, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Verse 19, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And then it ends by the statement to the choir master with stringed instruments. Apparently, this, this oracle that Habakkuk saw, that he delivers, this cycle of him talking, God responding, him talking, God responding, and then his praise, it was all meant to be sung. Sherry, why didn't we sing this one today? Um, here's, here's the message of Habakkuk one more time. Because God is sovereign, in charge, decisive, establishing everything that happens, and because he's, he's good, he's good, we must bring our laments to him. We must praise his character. We must resolve to walk by faith. Even in the midst of evil or violence or suffering or trials or impending judgment. And we can do all that because of the cup, of the cup. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, I've asked a couple of people to, uh, to hand out um, our, our communion cups. So if, if those individuals would do that. And once you receive um, your, what I call COVID cup, right? The all-in-one deal. Um, uh, I have a friend who calls them, uh, these are called rip and sip. <laughs> so we, we will still rip and sip, but, but not yet. H- hold on to it. Um, we, will, uh, we will partake in a moment together. And once we have used up all of our rip and sip COVID cups, uh, we, we may return to the old days of passing a tray. <laughs> but for now, once, once you have a cup, just hang on to it. So our tradition most of the time is to have this meal together. That's why I ask you to hold on to your, your elements. So again, this, this cup of wrath, God would pour it out on nations. He has. And in the future, God will pour out his wrath on those who are not in Christ because God doesn't work any longer with a national entity. No, now he works with his covenant people who are made up of people from every nation and tribe and tongue, and that's glorious. And so for those of us that are in Christ who have by faith believed the gospel, uh, we, we are in relationship, and his wrath has been de- our, the wrath for our sins has been dealt with on the cross. Uh, and so on that night, Jesus took some bread and he, he broke it. And he said, this represents my body, which is for you. And he said, you're going to remember me and my work, my person, um, by, by eating this. And he took some wine and he poured it and he said, this wine represents the blood of the new covenant, my blood, which is poured out for you. You're going to drink and remember my sacrifice, my once for all final sacrifice. So let me pray and then we'll partake together. So Father in heaven, thank you for the teaching of the book of Habakkuk. And we've just spent a short time in it. And I do pray maybe it's a, a book that needs to come alive to us as we learn to lament as we learn to trust in your sovereignty and goodness and to praise you for your sovereignty and goodness and to walk by faith anew and fresh. Thank you for this book, but we thank you for the Lord Jesus as well now. And we remember his body put onto a cross. We remember, Lord blood that he shed for us. And so thank you for these moments to take this meal together. And so if you are Christian today, you are invited to rip the side with the bread and let's, let's eat together. And then let's take the cup side
and remember the once for all final sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, the blood of the new covenant. Let's, let's drink together. And let's stand and pray and sing one final song. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the glorious gospel. May we walk by faith today in this glorious gospel.